we're so glad that you're here this morning and you, uh, you dared to make your way through the, the, the treacherous weather this morning. Um, I was um, probably the icy roads and, um, you know, the sub-freezing temperatures, I mean, that, that we're all experiencing now. Um, but we are thankful you're here. As, um, we know that there's still some traveling that are out for fall break, the long weekend that Brandon was talking about. Um, but, you know, I, I love being here. I love being with you. It's all about encouragement, right? Yeah, she knows where I'm going with this. Let me just tell you a story right quick, okay? Y'all got time for a quick story? You know, I'm out there trying to love on people, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Young man comes walking through the lobby and it looks like he's on a mission to leave. I said, hey, dude, where are you going? Uh, I'm going to the students. And as I'm hearing him say that, I have April Lester in my ear goes, he heard you were preaching. <laughs> so, you know, when I stand up with confidence and boldness, it's because of my church family that make me feel that way. So anyway, God keeps us humble. Praise the lamb for that. Um, speaking of humility, um, how many of you are ready for week two of the book of Habakkuk? Y'all bunch of liars. <laughs> Y'all are liars because I'm not ready because I'm telling you this one was brutal. All right. So we're just going to go ahead. Look, there's a lot here this morning. There's a lot of stuff that we're going to have to run through and, and look Here's what I want you to understand. It's okay not to understand it all because I don't. I don't understand it all, okay? So I want us to all kind of be on the same ground with that this morning. There's gonna be things that we've gotta work through, things that we've gotta pray through and talk through. But our prayer last week is that we would leave with the confidence and the capability to be honest with God, but to also pray with emotion to God. Let God know how we truly feel. Let God know if we're hurting. Let God know if we're mad. Let God know if we feel like we're alone. Let God know if we think he's not listening. It's okay to be there. Okay. It's okay to ex express and let God know that. You know, last week we looked at Habakkuk and what he was experiencing, the enemy was at work inside Judah. The enemy was pressing in on all sides and, and we saw that Habakkuk was angry he, he was walking through a season of frustration. He was walking through a season of loneliness where he even said, God, do you even hear me? Um, there had to be a sense of rejection. And he has completely poured out his heart to God. He's let God know exactly how he feels and what he thinks about the season that he's walking through. And so what we're going to look at today, what I want to kind of, there's going to be a lot of encouragement in this somewhere but what I want you to be encouraged with is this, that on the heels of him being completely honest with God, him screaming at God, him being frustrated with God, the beautiful thing that we're about to see in verse five is where we see God's unconditional love come into play. Because in the midst of his, his raw mindset, in the midst of his honesty, what's sweet about it is God still responds. God still responds to someone who has just let him know how he feels about him. Because remember how we compared last week our earthly relationships with, with the heavenly relationship with our almighty father is how we are, we're so um, circumstance driven people. We, we, we don't like to talk about conflict. We don't like that because we think that it'll bring conflict between us and another individual. And so many times we put God in that same box. I can't be honest with God. I can't tell God how I really feel because if I do, that's gonna be, bring conflict between me and God. 
But what we left here with last week was hoping that you would have the confidence in recognizing God's unconditional love that he has for you. That how he feels about you is not based on how you respond to him, thank God, right? So now what we're gonna do today is we're gonna jump into the encouraging side of this first part of the message. What we see in verse five is that although he's been honest with God, he's let God know he's mad, he's let God know all of his emotions, but God still responds and read what he says in verse five of the book of Habakkuk chapter one. He says, look among the nations. Remember, this is God speaking back to him. Look among the nations, observed, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days that you would not believe if you were told. I'm doing something in your days that you would not believe if you were told. And so when I thought about that, I thought about God, the fact of the celebration in that verse is that even in the midst of him being raw and completely honest, God still answered, God still listened, and God still responded. We see here that God's not angry with Habakkuk because he's poured out his heart to him. He's not upset with him, he's welcomed it. And so now he begins to dive back into the conversation. But when I, when I came across that, the fact that God listened to him in spite, of, in spite of his emotion, I was reminded of another promise that God gave to another prophet. And I want you to flip to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29, and we're gonna look at two and a half verses right here for just a minute, just so that you can kind of get um, the idea of the weight of what these promises that God makes, the weight that come along with them. But if I want you to look at um, John, uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 12 and 13. It says, and this is God talking to Jeremiah. He says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Some of you need to circle that. You need to highlight that. You need to underline that. He says, I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you declares the Lord. You see, the most empowering thing and the most comforting thing for all of us today is the first leg of that promise. When he said, what I told you to underline, he says, I will listen. We're all gonna walk through seasons of our prayer life that where we're just like Habakkuk was last week. And when we're crying out, when we're letting our requests be made known, there's gonna be seasons of all of our life that we feel like God is not listening. Some of you have got to be reminded of this promise. Myself, I need to be reminded of this promise that God says, if you call out to me, it doesn't say there's a chance I'm gonna hear you. If I don't have anything else better going on, I might listen to you. But he says, if you call out to me, I will listen. And that is what a heavenly father's relationship with us is supposed to look like. That when we call out, he will listen. This is a promise from his word that he will listen. So when you feel like giving up, when you feel like you've all heard this, the saying that we all say that I feel like my, my prayers are going to the ceiling and they're coming back and hitting me in the top of the head, remember, he will listen. He is listening. So when you feel like giving up, when you feel like throwing the towel in, remember this promise. Remember this promise that a perfect father 
will never ignore his child. A perfect father will never ignore his child. So the first promise we have there is God is listening. The second promise that he makes known to us here is that that he is going to reveal himself to those who seek him. He's going to reveal himself to those who seek. It says, if we seek him, we will find him. What I love about how this parallels with Habakkuk is God has promised Jeremiah, but what we see is when in the first few verses of of, of Habakkuk chapter one is these two promises are becoming a reality to the prophet Habakkuk. So flip back over there with me right quick because we see what's happened here. God has spoken back to Habakkuk. So what does that tell us? Hello, he's listening. If he's responded back to somebody, he's listening to him. So we see the promise from Jeremiah, I will listen, is come to fruition in Habakkuk's life. He's cried out to God and God has heard him. God has listened and God has responded. So God has spoken back to him. Second part of this promise is when he says, if you seek me, you will find him. And we see that God is revealing himself by speaking to Habakkuk. He's revealing himself, he's revealing the direction, he's revealing what's going to happen, all because of Habakkuk seeking God with his whole heart. But where I want us to be careful and where we're gonna spend some time this morning is in that second promise. If you seek him, you will find him. If you seek me, you will find me. Because there's a lot of, have you ever noticed that there's a lot of church lingo we use a lot of times? And honestly, if we got down to the truth of it, we probably don't even know what it means. And this is one of those things that I hear a lot of church people, myself included, saying a lot of times. That we celebrate the day that we found God. The day that we found Jesus. And we're so excited because so-and-so found God. Look, I've said it a thousand times. But where I want us to be careful is this. When we speak that, when we talk about the fact that somebody has found God, in my little simple mind, it paints the picture that we're playing this lifelong game of hide and seek with God. And that God is doing everything he can to hide from us. And we're all like hiding our face under our pillow, counting to 10, ready or not, here I come. And then we begin to tear our house apart. We begin to tear our life apart, trying to find out where God is hiding. What father would purposefully hide from the child that they love? You see, we're not on some never ending hide and seek competition. Another promise from God also says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. That doesn't sound like a game of hide and seek to me. That sounds like a heavenly father that is walking hand in hand right beside us in the midst of the storms that we're walking through. So we have to be careful when we talk about this because a lot of times we just have a wrong perspective of what it means in that passage. If you seek me, you will find me. And I wrote this down and I'm gonna just read the the quote that that I wrote down because I'll probably misword it if I don't. So many times we forget this promise, talking about the fact that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We forget this because when God does reveal himself, but he doesn't show up looking like we think he should, this leads us to believe that he doesn't hear us 
and that we must be alone. A lot of times we pray for God to reveal himself to us. We already know that he's right beside us. We already know that he listens to us. We already know that he's not gonna leave us nor forsake us. We already know if we seek him, we will find him. But the truth is, is a lot of times when we're asking God to reveal himself to us, we have in our mind what that revealing process should look like. We have in our minds how we want God to reveal himself to us. And when God doesn't act the way we want him to, when he doesn't show up the way we want him to, our little fleshly minds, we think, okay, well, God has not heard my request, so therefore God doesn't love me. Therefore, that means that he doesn't care about me. So therefore, he's not hearing me, he's not listening, and now I am all alone because this God who loves me will not do what I want him to do. How many of you have been there? Me. Probably every day. I can't tell you the times that I have prayed and I've asked God to do specific things and he doesn't do them. But you see, until we settle this whole idea that we're gonna talk about today, this is just a vicious cycle for us as believers. We pray we ask certain things, and when God doesn't do exactly what we want him to do, we write it off as that he's not listening, that he doesn't care, and we forget about the promise that he says, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And so we, what we find in the book of Habakkuk is that is exactly what is about to happen. Habakkuk has just poured his heart out to God. He said, God, look, the enemy is winning. Remember, he screamed out violence and he was crying out, God, do something. God, do something. Please move, God, stop the violence. Stop letting the enemy wreak havoc in Judah. Stop letting the Babylonian army overpower everybody that comes in contact with. But then in God's response, he says, I'm about to do something and you won't believe it. I'm about to do something and you won't believe it. And you know, in my little simple mind, when you have as many kids as I do, you think like they do a lot of times. When God speaks that, when he says, hey, you know what, just hold on. I'm about to do something that you won't believe. I picture Habakkuk sitting there, and this is my little sick and twisted mind. Y'all know the little mean things we send on our, our phones to each other in text messages? Have y'all ever seen the one where Michael Jackson is sitting there with the popcorn going? Have y'all seen that? And he's just got this big goofy grin on his face. Like he's just waiting for this scene to start. He's ready for all this to happen. That's what I feel like Habakkuk is probably doing right now. He's sitting on the edge of his seat going, okay, God said he's about to do something. I'm not gonna believe it. He's finally heard me. He's gonna do what I've asked him to do. He's gonna act exactly the way that I want him to act. And he's sitting on the edge of his seat because he's saying, yes, God's about to do something and it's gonna be exactly what I asked him to do. Not. Let's see what, how God responds. Because I really feel like Habakkuk's sitting there with those white knuckles going, okay, here it comes. Here's the answer I've been waiting on. Here it is. I've been crying out against violence. I've been crying out against the, the Chaldeans or the Babylonian army. So here God's about to do something amazing. He's about to destroy them. He's about to set us free. Sin is about to be purified. So yes, it's all about to happen. Start reading with me. 
in verse six, as God continues speaking, he says, for behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than the wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde and the faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Did y'all read what God just responded with? Not only did God basically tell Habakkuk, I'm not going to perform the way you want me to perform, but God used every verb and every adjective to remind Habakkuk how powerful this people group is about to take over how strong they are, how fast they are, how mean they are, how evil they are. And he is telling Habakkuk, look, these people, I'm raising them up and they're about to take, cap they're about to take you captive. I'm not relenting. So we're all going in our minds the way we work. What has Habakkuk just prayed? Habakkuk has prayed against all of this. He's prayed that all this would stop. And God says, I'm about to do something. You better get ready for this. And then he does the exact opposite. The exact opposite of what Habakkuk has just been honest with God about and what he has just shared all of his emotions about. How many times have we prayed this way and God does the exact opposite? And we all in our minds think he doesn't hear me. He's mad at me. I'm alone. God doesn't care about me. Because we've all prayed for healing in people. We've all prayed for specific jobs. We've all prayed for, for restoration in different areas of our lives. We've We've all prayed for addicts to be delivered. We've all prayed in our minds exactly what we want to happen. And look, nothing's wrong with that. Nothing's wrong. Remember, we talked about be honest, be angry, share your emotions with God. But even in the midst of that honesty, even in the midst of that emotions, a lot of times it doesn't go the way that we think it should in our minds. And we begin that vicious cycle. He's not listening I'm seeking God, I'm praying, and nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. I'm doing all these things. I'm seeking God, I'm praying, I'm having conversations with him, I'm being honest with him, I'm sharing my emotions with him, but still nothing, nothing. And so when we look at what Habakkuk is doing, the question that we have to ask, now look, here, here, and this, I'm just gonna be completely transparent with you. This whole thing that we're talking right now 
is not very easy. This part of the journey of being a follower of Christ that we're going to be talking about today, to me, is the hardest part of being a follower of Christ. It's when God don't give us what we want. And when he doesn't, can we still sing it as well? Can we still say, God, I don't get this, but you know what? I'm not called to get it. I'm just called to trust you. Because that's exactly where this book is taking Habakkuk. And so while we will make the plea even for ourselves, Brian, I'm seeking God. I'm praying. I'm doing all of these things and nothing. The question that we have to ask ourselves, let's look at it through the lenses of Habakkuk. Is he truly seeking God or is he just seeking what he wants? And when I say he, I mean Habakkuk. Is he truly seeking what God wants or is he truly seeking what Habakkuk wants? Because in his mind, he's seeking God. He's made his request known to God. So therefore, I would agree that it appears that he's seeking God. He's praying to God, right? He, he's having a conversation with God. So this must mean that he's seeking God. No, it doesn't. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to thousands. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus boldly claims, seek first the kingdom of God. And you're thinking, okay, well, what the heck does that mean? What does it mean? Seek first the kingdom of God. What does Jesus mean when he's saying, seek first the kingdom of God? I think that's exactly what God is trying to teach Habakkuk in this passage is quit seeking what you want, quit seeking the easy way out. And I would rather you much, much more. I would rather you seek me instead. And you think, well, Brian, my goodness. That seems impossible. That seems impossible. So what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? What does it mean first to seek God instead of seeking what we want? It means that we as believers, that we should be seeking the things of God before we're seeking our worldly circumstances. That is hard. That is difficult. That is the one of the hardest things of denying yourself and taking up your cross to follow him. That is one of the hardest parts of being a follower of Christ. But the ultimate thing that we've got to realize as believers, our ultimate job here, the only reason that we're put on this planet is that we're to seek salvation for the lost. People must be saved. People must be born again. And it is our job to share that, to be that, to show that, to trust that. And are we willing enough that we want the lost to be reconciled back to God to the extent we're saying, you know what, God, here's my mess. Here's the disasters of my life. I want you to use them as long as it brings people to come to know you. Because do you realize this world here this life that we're living, the Bible says that it's a vapor. We're not here long. We're not here long. But what we as followers of Christ have got to get to a place that we're willing to give up this vapor, these few seconds, 
for the eternity, for the eternal. Because God has a place for you. God has a place for me to be used in this mission to reconcile the lost back to him. So to seek the kingdom of God, to seek him first should be us seeking God's direction so that other lost people are saved. It's that simple. That simple, that's kind of ironic and it ain't that simple, but that's what it means. It's all about seeing people reconciled back to God. And you say, well, Brian, what, I, that, what does that even mean? Let's just use some examples. Two weeks ago, I remember specifically praying for a man by the name of Ronnie Joy has battled with cancer, praying for him to be healed. I let my request be known to God. I was emotional about it. I was honest. We attended his funeral last week. Was I seeking God or was I seeking what I wanted? You see, reality is, is I was seeking what I wanted. We just prayed for Dwight and Sue to leave last week to go to Cambodia, to go to Nepal. And man, it would have been a lot easier if they would have left on that trip knowing that his dad had been healed, right? It'd have been a whole lot easier. That'd have been a lot simpler for that to happen, right? So we prayed and we begged God to heal this man. But God called that man home. He was a believer. So he woke up to be absent from the body. He was present with his father. That is what we all long for. But here's where this all thing begins to be coming into play. Dwight was able to preach his own father's funeral. He shared the gospel. Three people surrendered their heart and their life to Jesus Christ. Would they have ever stepped through the doors of a church? I don't know. Would anybody have ever shared the gospel with them? I don't know. But the fact is, is God used what seemed like a disaster in a worldly circumstance from a worldly perspective because it was a loss of a father. It was a loss of a grandfather. But ultimately, three lost people were reconciled back to their heavenly father through the avenue of this man losing his life. Are we willing enough to say, God, it's worth me losing my life. It's worth me losing my loved ones as long as it brings lost people into your presence. And now look, we're not all there. There's days I'm not there. One other story. Y'all okay with stories? Jesus used them all the time, so I'm not Jesus, but I can use, I'm, I'm sure he's a better storyteller than I am. But if you've been around this area for any time, I remember a young man that I used to teach and his name was Taylor Wagner. If you don't know the story, I, I taught with his mom for years and we actually helped lay to rest one of her sons named Evan. And I remember how brokenhearted I was to see a mom hurt because of the loss of her child. And then I remember now you fast forward just a few years and I get a phone call. And it said, Taylor's been in a very bad motorcycle accident. This was the little brother of Evan. And so I remember just much like the story Brandon shared a few weeks ago, I remember going to the hospital and crying out and begging God, God, you've got to heal Taylor. 
God, there's no way that a mom can walk through this again. There's no way that a mom can lose her other son. There's no way, God, I know that you're gonna show up in a miraculous way. God, I know there's gonna be a celebration in that hospital room. God, I know that this is about to be a miracle. And then it's almost like God said, what I'm about to show you, you wouldn't believe if I told you. And so I walk into the hospital room and I walk up onto the, to the second floor and there's probably 150 to 200 students that I've taught, that I've walked with through life and there's tears. Everybody is praying and begging for God to heal Taylor Wagner. We were all agreeing. We were all begging God to do something miraculous. But then I'll never forget when it came about that Taylor didn't make it. That he had gone on to be with the Lord. There was a lot of people mad at God, myself included. There was a lot of people disappointed in God. But you see, I go to the funeral some three days afterwards and it was over here at 12 Stone off Martin Road. And as I watched and the room filled up, the gospel was presented. But do you know who the gospel was presented by? Taylor Wagner. You think, whoa, wait a minute. You see, just a few days prior to his death, he had to do a persuasive speech for college. And basically his persuasive speech was about a six minute speech where he pretty much shared how God had rescued him, how God had restored him, how God had saved him. So you know what they did at the funeral? They pushed play. Taylor Wagner was able to share the gospel with his closest friends. And before we left that day, some 50 plus teenagers surrendered their heart and their life to Jesus Christ. People, you can't make that kind of stuff up. That Taylor Wagner preached his own funeral and people were reconciled back to God. And the most beautiful part is to sit and watch a mother who's lost both of her sons with her hands raised, praising God for salvation. Are you kidding me? That is something that only can come by the Holy Spirit working in our heart and our life. But then to even get the story better, I remember over the next few days, I would go on YouTube and I would watch Taylor's testimony. And, and I watched as the, about two days after he passed, there was about a thousand views. Three or four days later, there's now about 5,000 views. Two or three days later, there's about 6,000, and the number kept climbing. I checked this week. Taylor Wagner's testimony has been viewed over 14,000 times. The gospel has been shared over 14,000 times by his own lips. I'm pretty sure, I don't know that Taylor Wagner would have ever shared the gospel with 14,000 people had he still been here. But that is when God does what only God can do. So we see these examples of, of seeing how even in the midst of a disaster, what happens is God can use these disasters to draw people to him. And that's exactly what he's about to do with Judah. He's about to cause utter chaos by the way of this evil army overtaking them so that the people will have no choice but to turn to God. They'll have no choice. I wrote this down. You've probably heard this before. It says, but so many times we find ourselves in places where Jesus is all we have. 
And what happens is this teaches us that Jesus is all we need. And that's exactly what God is allowing to happen to Judah. And I love verse 11. He says, then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. Then he gives us this little glimpse of hope. He says, but they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. Basically what God is saying, he says, look Habakkuk, it's gonna look like a train wreck now. It's gonna look like a disaster now, but in the, in the end, they will not win. In the end, I will be victorious. In the end, lost people will be reconciled back to me. People will surrender their heart and the life to my son Jesus who is coming, who is coming to rescue the lost. But then in the very same manner as Habakkuk heard God describe this Babylonian army, they were fast, they were fierce, they were mean, they were all this. Look how Habakkuk responds to God in verse 12. He says, are you not from everlasting? Oh Lord, my God, my Holy One, we will not die. You, oh Lord, have appointed them to judge and you, O rock, have established them to correct. Look at the adjectives that he uses and the names that he calls God there. He calls him everlasting. He, he calls him Lord. He calls him my God. He says, holy one. He says, rock. And what we see, we see the spiritual battle going on inside Habakkuk's heart. He's saying, God, I don't like what I'm walking through. I don't like what I'm seeing. But God, I know you're the holy one. I know you're the everlasting. I know you are my rock. So God, I am trying my hardest to trust you. I'm trying my hardest to hold on to you, even though it's not going the way that I plan it, even though it's not going real easy right now. But God, I'm trying with everything in me to muster up every ounce of faith I have just to trust you. That's where a lot of us are right now today at the storm you're walking through. You don't like it. You're unhappy. You're miserable. But we need to be reminded that he is the everlasting, that he is the holy one, that he is the rock, that he is our salvation. And guess what? In the end, the enemy doesn't win. Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave, and that is where our victory comes from. That's what gives us the hope to hold on. That's what gives us the faith to stay strong, even in the midst of our storm. And some of you can probably say, that's me today, man. I'm, I'm just trying to trust God. I'm trying to hold on. But this is tough. I'm trying to hold on. Remember, be honest. Pray with emotion. Let him know it's hard to hold on. Let him know you're struggling. But also call out those names. Everlasting. Lord my God, Holy One, Rock. But then in verses 13 through 17, it's like you'll always see Habakkuk give those glimpses of hope where he says, okay, you're starting to see him turn around. You're starting to see him fully trust God. But then he unloads on God again in 13 through 17. He says, your eyes are too pure to approve evil and you cannot look at wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor? On those who deal treacherously, why are you silent when the wicked swallow up? See, here again, he's back to silent. God's not hearing me anymore. He's not doing anything. Those more righteous than they, why have you made men like the fish of the sea, 
Like creeping things without a ruler over them, the Chaldeans bring all of them up with a hook, drag them away with their net, and they gather them together to their fishing net. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they offer a sacrifice to their net and they burn incense to their fishing net because through these things, their catch is large and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? You see, Habakkuk is reminding God of the casualties that are coming. He says, look, God, they're gonna have their way with Judah. They're gonna destroy, they're gonna tear them apart. And he talks about catching them with a fish hook. He talks about catching them with a net. And because of what they're doing, because of their abilities to overcome, their ability was their net. Their ability is their fishing net. And you see, they begin to pay homage to that. They begin to love that. They begin to worship their abilities. They begin to worship their skills. And God, remember what he said in verse 11? That won't last. That won't last because I'm stronger than their powers. I am stronger than their abilities. I am stronger than their skills. And some of you need to be reminded today, no matter what season, no matter what the enemy is doing in your life, remember the rock. Remember he is stronger. Remember he is the foundation. Remember he is our refuge. And maybe the disaster that you're walking through right now, God's doing exactly to you what he was doing to these. He's just simply wanting you to turn and run to him. He's wanting you to run to that refuge. He's wanting you to run to that safe place. And so we've got to ask ourselves that question. The same thing that we would ask Habakkuk. Was he seeking God? Or was he seeking better earthly circumstances? Was he seeking God? Was he seeking salvation for the lost? Or was he just seeking a simpler life? And look, I know that is a difficult thing to even say. That is a difficult thing to even talk about. But at the end of this study, what our prayer is, is that what we hope we see is that what God is teaching Habakkuk is what we need more than changed circumstances is faith in Him. What we need more than changed circumstances are faith in Him. You know, some of you may have came to the realization of salvation. You may have prayed and asked Jesus to save you. you and I don't know what the, maybe it was at a funeral. Maybe it was at some event. But I bet if you look back through your life, there's things that we can all trace back to that God used somebody else's disaster to help you find Jesus, to help you see who Jesus Christ is, but he used somebody else's disaster to get you there. But the question is, is are you willing to reciprocate that? Are you willing to say, God, use my disaster so that others may come to the saving knowledge of who your son Jesus is? This is very, come out and go get a message, isn't it? So the question I would leave us with today are two. Are we fully yielded to him? 
And right now in our present state, are we currently seeking the right thing? 